This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hey, this is M. Willis. This is Greg Marguerite from Iambic and LibriVox. And this is Mark Nelson from Iambic and LibriVox and SciPodBooks.com. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. No problem. We're going to talk about Dan Simmons' Hyperion. Now, uh, recent criticism uh, on the website said that I don't leave enough room for people to talk, so I'm going to be mostly silent. <laughs> Let you guys run the show, okay? Uh, all right. Uh, well, Mark, why don't you start? You you read the paper book and the uh, and listened to the audio. You probably have the deepest interpretation of this thing. So, what was your nope. general feeling? Double understanding. Um, I have mixed feelings about the book. Um, on one hand, um, it I thought was very inventive and um, went uh, um, created uh, this uh, world without relying on a lot of the uh, cliches I see a lot in sci-fi. You know, there aren't people who like that can fly between stars but then fight with swords, something that drives me nuts. Right. Um and uh, there was a lot of detail and texture to the descriptions uh, in the book. So um, uh, from that standpoint, I thought it was, uh, it was original and, uh, and fairly fresh in my mind. Um, the flip side is, for, for SFF to work for me, um, you can make as crazy a world as you want, as long as it's entirely internally consistent. And you don't have this moment where you go, wait a minute. Yeah. That- that doesn't, how, how, you know, which like I experienced and like before the credits finished in Jurassic Park, I had that, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, you've got a whole herd of buffalo or uh, brontosauruses and no one's noticed. Yeah. And now you got to buy workers comp insurance. Well, what, huh? <laughs> um, and so I, where, where I had difficulty, um, is the, the whole idea of, you know, you, you've got some people living in forward time, other people living in backward time, and thinking, well, how do they talk to each other? Yeah, that I mean, was... Would, that was, Wouldn't this be like... What, what, what story was that? That was the priest's tale, or... Uh, that would have been, uh, well... No, the scholar. The scholar's tale? aging backwards. Well, right. Also, the, also the, the soldier who has the affair with uh, Moneta, who's right. living in the opposite direction. It's like, wouldn't it be like two cars passing each other on the freeway at 70 miles an hour. There'd only be like one instant where you can see each other, but you couldn't stop and have a conversation unless one stopped and drove backwards for a while. So I, I, I had a little trouble setting that aside. You, and you have to set reality aside to, to appreciate any kind of SFF. But, um, I, I had a little trouble getting past that conundrum. Um, other than that, I, I, I rather enjoyed it. Um, I think it could have been a little shorter, um, I, I wonder why, you know, stories can't be written in less than 600 pages. And in fact, this is only half the story. It actually, this is the backstory. It concludes right. with the fall of Hyperion, which is the next book. So it actually took, uh, Simmons like 1100 pages to, to write a story, um, which I think it makes it 50% longer than the hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's a lot of book. Um, but yeah, on the whole, you know, so I'm, I'm a little conflicted. I, I, I liked it. I had some problems. I, too, am 
conflicted about it. Um, the, the, the kind of continuity things you were talking about, uh, like, for example, it, the, the sun was very weak, but the night sky was lit up by all these meteors. Where did they hit? Didn't anyone get hit by? I mean, there's supposed to be literally hundreds of thousands of meteors zooming by, but none of them are big enough to make landfall and hurt anybody. Uh, but but anyway, uh, my overall, I I really liked uh, the the minutia of it. The nomenclature was great. Mm-hmm. With the Tesla trees and the John Carter Brigade and all that stuff. And the Gauss and rifles. The, yeah, and the poet who has a stroke and only has nine words left, and they're all you know. That was that was that was laugh out loud funny. Yeah, yeah. A a lot of that stuff was really good, but my overall feeling about it was, I actually, it kind of made me sad. Um, It reminded me of Walmart. At first, I thought, okay, this is Chaucer, DeCameron kind of thing, Um, and then I realized, no, it isn't. It's a department store, Um, and and it's it's. You know, in '89, when it was written, that 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 is when you know those things were switching over. It, it, when I was younger, you you went to record stores and bookstores, and they 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 had the personality of the person who did the buying, and they were small, and they had Barnes and Noble and whatever. And and uh, some of those things have survived, like restaurants. They're, they're still based on the personality who's behind the oven. But everything else has been homogenized and departmentalized. And the book reminded me of that time when that happened. Um, and all of the various stories, while I first said, you know, okay, this is Canterbury and whatever, it's a nice tie-in, um, it, it then seemed false and and put together like by a focus group or something and i don't think that was intentional on simmons part and i i wouldn't blame him for it uh, but it's just the feeling that it gave me i i feel similar um i thought like there's so much i like about it but it it feels like like he was aiming very high and he got a a fairly near miss i mean it's it's it doesn't really propel me the way I want it to. And I, I'm not sure if it, I don't think it's the length. I'm, I think, you know, he, his writing style is pretty, pretty good. Oh yeah. Uh, I was, I was enjoying uh, almost every description and, uh, I, I liked how, how most of the stories were f- kind of familiar in some aspect, you know, like I was, I was trying to figure out who was, you know who is he channeling in this story? So um, there was the 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 was it the first one that what was the first story? It was called um, the Cruciform. It's the right priest tale. The, priest tale, the man who cried God. So that story felt very much like a Robert Sheckley story to me. Uh, you know, man visits an alien world, discovers yeah. a strange cult that's uh, kind of like people, and then he finds out something a lot weirder about it. And not to, quite as funny as Sheckley. No, no, it's not. It, well, it's it's it wasn't played that way, but it no. it could have it it could have been a Sheckley story with a little bit more. Um, why is this happening to me? Rather than uh, oh dear God, this is happening. You know, yeah. yeah. If the if the main character had been a little uh, Father Hoyt is his name. 
or yep. Paul 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 Paul, Paul Jurey. Okay, yeah. So there's the two the two priests, and yeah, it's sort of mixed up there. I'm, yeah, I, I liked I liked that story a hell of a lot. And if that had been a short story, uh, separate from the the novel, it would totally work. Yeah, yeah you know, it, I, th- I I felt that way about several of them. Mm-hmm. You know, this this if this had been a self contained story, a novella, say, um, it probably would have been better than just being one segment of this much bigger work. Uh, because yeah. for one thing, each of the stories then kind of just stops. And it gets up its point, and then that's it. Now we're on the pil- pil- pilgrimage. Yeah, I'm sort of reserving judgment because I, I haven't read the second book like you have. But I, 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 told, I, I want to like this book a lot. I took a look at the second book, and while it gives you some answers it does this is a never-ending story it, mm. it does not tie up in a nice neat boat no even river world when you get to the end and, and river world's destroyed and burton and those guys decide to take the ship and go out and seek their fortunes uh, that is that is more of an ending i mean everything is tied up you understand the ethicals and x and what happened in the towers and why those guys were put together and why the reincarnation stopped and all that stuff is explained um, this, this is a never ending story. It does, it does not fill in all the pieces for you. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. Um, I just, I just needed more wrap up, more finality a to clo- it. A little closure. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I, I, think I, that, I think that the, uh, the individual stories of the first book, they start out, the, the reason the priest's tale is, is self-contained is because he's not trying to interrelate the stories yet. He's telling you the first story. And as you get second, third, fourth, as you get through the stories, now they're trying, he's trying to set up this thing where, you know, uh, the detective fights on Maui Covenant, but then you come back to it for the diplomat's tale. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so now he's got all this inter and the further he gets into the stories, the more interrelating mechanics he has to do. And so the stories get worse as you go along. And yeah, that might've been, that might be the, the stories do get worse. I, I thought that, I mean, I was really annoyed by the diplomat's tale at the end, especially by didn't, the nonlinear exposition. For me. And no. it's not that I'm opposed to nonlinear exposition. I love slaughterhouse five, but just the way he jumped around, I'm like, God damn it. Can we get through with this thing? Um, and, and I, I don't want to indict the book. I mean, it's a sprawling epic. It, it, it's, it, it has a tremendous amount to say for it, but there's just this overall feeling of, of a lack of closure, like Mark said. Well, let's talk, let's talk about some of the good stuff. So it, uh, the priest tale really, you know, I, I didn't see, I knew there was something up. I mean, you have to know there's something up. Why are they wearing those robes? Right. Um, and wh- wh- why do they all look, you know, how they do? And and I liked what what it had to say. It surprised me. Um, I love the the revelation we get near the end. And uh, it 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 is almost a perfect short story for what, what yep. it's trying to do. And it feels very solid. Um, so that was that. You know, that story. You know, take it out of out of the context of the the rest of the novel. Works for me. What about uh, the soldier's tale? What do you guys think of that one? That's the second story. I, um, I, that's one where I had a lot of trouble um, even comprehending what it was about. It's a good it's, question. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, the, this guy keeps having this woman appear, even though he's in, 
simulated battles and she appears in reality, but she's living backwards and he he's living forward. So she's meeting him from her past and he's meeting her from his future. And, and, and that, that one started to lose me very quickly. Yeah. I thought that one was all about making a link between sex and violence because she's basically a, a Shrike keeper. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if I needed to read 125 pages to make that connection. <laughs> Me neither, but I mean, I sort of knew they were linked before, but yeah, I hear you. It was, uh, I was thinking, you know, it's like, it was his Starship Troopers sort of character. Uh, yeah. We get the, the young soldier, his story. I, I thought his story was much more interesting than the, the plot of of the, the arc he has in that story, in the story. I think, you know, just hearing hearing about you know this uh, i guess street youth who goes on to become a, a war hero or something was much more interesting than and and much of the technology and such was that was like all the background stuff was very interesting but it didn't quite work it didn't gel the way the priest tale did for me yeah some of these stories are to expose plot line and some of them are to expose character and i think that the colonel was character and you it worked to... as a character story it didn't yeah. work as a uh, it, 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 it i guess it's unresolved is is or a, it didn't resolve well correct correct because you were only supposed to place him in that in that group of pilgrims and and expect him to do certain things and so they set up the character so he would do those things now the next one uh i don't i, I really liked but i don't have much to say about because it it, it it explicitly references uh, Jack Vance's Dying, er- Dying Earth, um, the Poet's Tale, the Hyperion yeah. Cantos, which is also the name of this series. I, I, I really, really like this story, uh, but I'm not sure it works as a plot. I think it just works another as a character thing. What do you guys think about that one? That's the one with... Um, uh, what's yeah, the- Martin Silenus. Yes, right. The Satyr. Right. And Sad King Billy. Yeah, I, I liked all that. I mean, I'm definitely attracted to, you know, a poet's world and, and how that would play out. Um, but again, I think this story was for character, not for plot. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. Um, it, it didn't seem to go anywhere. It just it set him up. <laughs> That's it. Have you guys yeah. read, read Dying Earth? The yeah. Jack Vance stuff? Yeah. It, I read it many, many years ago, I, but I did, yes. Same here. Does it like, tie, does it tie, other than, like, uh, what What I like most about, I guess, the Hyperion Cantos is he's telling the story, and we find out later on, that he, we're telling the story of the actual story uh, that we're reading, and I thought that was really, you know, a nice mirror, self-reference, etc. yeah. I, I, you know, the thing that's most memorable to memorable to me is out of that story is the concept of you know building a house that's on ten planets. That's what I fantasized mm-hmm. more about than anything else. And and he's just supposed to be the you know the the iconoclast, the smartass, um, and you needed to set him up so that he could do that. I didn't quite understand why Bron Lamia hated him so much, and they didn't really give us any background into that. I liked um, her name. Uh, but I don't think her story is that great. No, me neither. Although I did like the, the, the Keats simulacra idea. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, I, thought, 
Hey, mm-hmm. I like the Cybrid too, and and that's another one where I thought, you know, this should have been its uh, 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 its own story. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and you know, build it out and complete it, uh, because that that whole idea of uh, a human with an AI brain meant linked somewhere else was pretty interesting. Yeah, um, I don't know why he had to be Keats. Well, I I, I love the fact that they. They try to do Ezra Pound, and they get him so right that they think he's broken because yeah. they actually got him crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't. I, I think that's just a conceit of the author. It's got to be Dan Simmons loves John Keats. Yeah, and I have no problem with that at all. Um, the the uh, the I think that we're skipping ahead one, but Hyperion Cantus. I'm assuming that that's you know that's sort of his take on the Dying Earth. Uh, I don't. I don't. I can't say I haven't read the Dying Earth, but I, I just really like that story. And then I was thinking The Long Goodbye is a combination of, you know, every noir detective hard-boiled story and and William Gibson's uh, Neuromancer, sort of. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually... I really wanted to love that one, and I couldn't. I I think that the, the, the narrator, the woman, uh, she did everything she could, uh, but it was probably the wrong choice of a voice for... For Braun Lamia, she should have been. She wasn't that hardcore. She wasn't right. She should have been huskier and and you know just more like a like a jarhead than than this woman obviously who did this has feelings and a bunch of them shouldn't have come through. And I, I you know I'm I, I I always am reticent to criticize other narrators. <laughs> you could point to a zillion things in my stuff and say the same thing. Um, uh, but I just thought for this book, I would have picked a different voice. Uh, she did everything she could with it. Yeah. She, she was not, uh, you know, uh, she was not the husky, um, the husky detective. She was a little bit lightweight, I think. Yeah. And the, whoever did the dolphin voice. Oh my God. Um, remember they went to talk to the dolphins. The, I guess the guy who did the console, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't know how I would do dolphins, but <laughs> I wouldn't do them that way. I, I I think there's also playing against the convention. I mean, she's she's the detective, and she she sleeps with her client, and then she falls in love with her client. See, sleeping with your client almost makes sense, right? But falling in love with your client—that's not a noir detective, you know, right, hard-boiled right. story. So that really, you know, it felt like it was turning into. Uh, I don't know a romance story, and I didn't. Yeah, I didn't see. I, mean, I didn't see the. You know, yeah, he's he's cute. I, I hear you know you describe how pretty he is, and he likes poetry, but he, he wasn't that magnetic. Right, and and the classic noir. I mean, you can see Bogart selling out the woman because when your partner gets killed, you do something about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, so you know those characters never are taken in by women. And why this woman was taken in by a man is not noir to me. I really but, wanted to like this story a lot, and I just couldn't. I don't. Yeah, I'm sort of neutral on it. Um, but the, yeah, the whole um, the I mean the uh, the world that is constructed that reminded me of uh, I guess the later books in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. Um, and you know, whenever you're modeling something, you're, the more details of your model you want to get, the bigger it has to be. And eventually yeah. it becomes full size. 
Um, that, that sounds exactly right and it works well. Um, but uh, it also didn't, it, it felt like they were trying to treat it like a, a tourist, a touristy, you know, let's go here and then we'll go over here and, oh, it, maybe it had too much going on in it and it just, maybe it shouldn't have been a female detect. I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Okay. Going back, the scholar's tale. This is, this is also... Um, this is, I think, the second best story in the collection. What do you guys think? That's the one with the Saul Weintraub, is yep. it? And he, his daughter, Rachel. Yeah, I, I agree. That's the, that's the second best one. I think the best one that I didn't hear was the Templars story, but, uh, <laughs> but I liked Saul, Saul's story. Yeah. The Templar is the guy who was killed, right? Um, you'll have to read, you'll have yeah. to read the second book. He wasn't ah, killed. okay. The blood in the stateroom is actually, uh, the colonels. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. That sounds very interesting. Now, um, I guess there, there's a reference to, you know, they even explicitly mentioned the Merlin's, uh, Merlin's disease. And I thought that mm-hmm. that was a good description of, uh, I guess the curious case of Benjamin Button as well. Right. Aging backwards. Um, that's all fun stuff. And I liked, you know, uh, I, uh, this is the one that you had a problem with, uh, right, Mark? The- um, I, I did. I mean, I, I like the idea that every day this girl got younger and she forgot what she, what she knew the day before. Time, the fact that she lived forwards during the day and went backwards at night, that, that was a head-scratcher. Hmm. Well, uh, and yeah. I, 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 I yeah. wanted to see what's going to happen at the end. Was she going to divide into an egg and a sperm at the very end there? What was going to happen? Yeah, I thought of that, too. Um, well, uh, what, what I can say that, uh, that... That is dealt with in the second book. Ah. Uh, what, what I can say that I wanted to... Um, say in the defense of this story and, and it's being a, you know, how can this be? Um, there's, you know, David Hume's idea about, um, miracles is that a miracle is something that has no precedence. It couldn't have happened, uh, because there's no, um, it's a un, unforeseeable, uh, event. I haven't got the definition explicitly stated there. I should, Go back and I'll put a link to it. Anyways, it's it's unpredictable. Yeah, it, 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 but also it it's it's unprecedented, right? There's no reason like it's not logically consistent to have it make sense prior to its arrival, right? Because it it's not natural. That's his his main argument is that if you if you think about what a miracle has to be, it has to be something that is supernatural, right? Mm-hmm. An intervention into the world. Now, once it's happens once it happens that she starts aging backwards it's all perfectly logical right he worked it out so that uh i mean it's not perfectly logical they're saying well she's not uh how can she be losing weight right she's how can she be getting smaller she's not you know she's not Mm -hmm. uh taking in food through her anus right that's not that's (laughs) how can this work so there is a an inconsistency right but uh it of it fits within, you know, assuming it to be possible, as in it is happening, then it must be the case that – I don't see how it's possible. But if it <laughs> is possible, if it's happening, he follows through, then he doesn't fiddle around with it, right? 
he says, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And nobody can help her, right? He, I mean, uh, I think it's, it's a, it, it is mostly, the, if, if such a thing as speculative fiction exists, this is the kind of thing they're talking about, rather than science fiction or fantasy, right? This is the kind of thing they're talking about, is what I think. Um, yes, and I, I I was able to set my issues with that aside enough to get through the book, as if you do as you have to do with even you know interstellar space travel. I mean, it's not possible, so you accept it as part of the background and you know a- allow that impossibility to exist, so you can enjoy the book. Well, but uh, at least allowing the time debts is a nod to the fact that mm, you know I, the, the, I like the, that. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, I, I, that was a nice touch. Um, and, uh, and the fact that Simmons doesn't, didn't feel the need to explain everything. That's right. Right. That was good, too. Um, you know, you do, don't have to, I, I, read a, I read another book recently where uh, the same thing was explained to me every time it appeared in the book. It's like, <laughs> come on, I, I got it. Yeah. Move along. Uh, so that, I, I did like that. Um, it works kind of the way, same way the Shrike does, right? It, yes. And so, and, 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 and this was, and it, it, for me, it was like right on the edge because basically, and, and, and I apply this to sci-fi or fantasy or mystery novels, is if anything can happen, then I don't care what happens. Mm. What's got to happen, anything that happens has to be, like I said earlier, consistent within the four walls of this world. And as soon as you break out of that and anything can happen, well, then who cares? At least but you're, you're always allowed one, right? You're always allowed one thing. Yes, I allow. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, the, you know, the, I don't care how crazy the premise is as long as what you do is examine the ramifications of that premise and don't step outside it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, yeah. So, so you can set up the craziest thing in the world for me, but you got to stick to it. And that's why I think it worked for me without, you know, I, I was saying, what's going on? Oh, okay, that's what he's, that's his gimme. That's his thing that he, he has to have, and, and he goes with it, and I didn't think he cheated. Yeah, I think I'm saying the same thing. It just for me, this, that concept was right on the hairy edge for me. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, this is also, so this is the story, uh, I guess, it, 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 it's, it, doesn't feel like a retelling of um, Merlin and uh, you know King Arthur, but it's it all, there's lots of references to uh, the biblical story of uh, Isaac. Um, I guess it's called the Binding of Isaac. Yeah, Abraham. Abraham and Isaac and God's covenant or whatever. Um, uh, so the the unifying thing for most of these stories is religion. Is that is is that true? Is this uh, is a religious book? <laughs> uh, well, I think that. I mean, they do. I mean, Abraham was ethically a child. Okay, so so uh, you know, supernatural was more probable yesterday than it is today. So, of course, obedience to the inscrutable was more important back then. And uh, you know, trying to draw a parallel to Saul, um, you know, the the the. The child in the story um, has no ethics whatsoever, um, and Saul is far more sophisticated than Abraham was. He, Saul, Saul's probably the most human of the characters in the whole book, I would say. 
he's the most fully rounded person as far as I could see. And also, you know, he, he has to deal with maybe the least probable problems. Yeah, I yes. I, I think the problem in these kinds of stories, whenever you do these things where you put a group together, um, the, it, on some level, they together equal a whole person. And whoever is the brain, like the scholar in this case, um, since the brain has so much control. It's also the things, id. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Um, to begin with, that he, he seems like a more powerful character just because he's in the control center. Well, I, I think I think this story would have worked very well on its own. So it's the river Letha's taste is bitter. Now I don't I don't remember what the river Letha is, so I I don't I'll have to look that one up. Um, Mark, you read the book twice. Did did that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, that 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 did. The the I, river I, Letha, I mean. Oh no, I, I had no idea what that's, that that reference is. Okay, uh, so I'd I let that go. But um, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it was another segment that probably should have been its own story. Yeah, it, yeah. it surprised it surprises me that this wasn't like serialized and and then put together later um, with a with a story in the middle. You know. Um, in fact, there is a uh, a fairly decent break between, uh, I think, number four and number five, in which they 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 get on the um, the the thing that's on the cover of the book. What's it called? The wind wagon. The wind wagon. Yeah. The, the the wind. I didn't know there was a lot of wind wagons in science fiction until. Started looking. You you did a Mark Mark Nelson did a book. Two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're uh, Philip Jose Farmer. Is that what you? Yeah. Said? Green Odyssey. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, they made this one sound quite large. You know, they've got staterooms and stuff. But uh, yeah, and and a single wheel. A single, one a single wheel. Wow. Yeah, I, I imagine it was pretty damn wide, but it'd have to be. You'd think. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, it, was it automated? Was there no no crew? That's right. Yeah. Yep. So why was it late? Just for plot purposes. <laughs> <laughs> I there's a lot of hanging, you know, dangling threads like that in the in the whole story. Mm-hmm. I well, don't, I don't. It I, turns I into through, sorry. I'm kind of. No, I didn't off. get through the Endemian books, but um, I got through the Hyperion ones, and I don't remember that being explained. I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, uh, w- one of the s- things that happens while they're on that ship is is one of the uh, pilgrims gets uh, it disappears. I guess we find out later that he's not dead. And uh, I, I know that everybody was very skeptical that he was dead. I thought that that was that was interesting. No, nobody assumed that he was. I mean, we're all reading the novel. We know he's not dead, right? <laughs> Or presume that he's not dead, but all the characters also presume he's not dead. And I thought that was kind of interesting that they did that. But it turned into, uh, I thought it was going to turn into Murder on the Orient Express, you know. <laughs> they all killed him. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Six little Indians. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun little uh, interlude. Yeah, well, he does turn up in the second book, but only long enough to die. 
Okay. And you still don't get an explanation. I was going to say, and, and die without an explanation. Right, right. You find out how the blood got there, but that's it. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was my blood. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot to mention. Yeah, that was, that was my blood. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I, sh- I should have said something earlier, but, you know. Yeah. In the second book, a number of them have combat with the Shrike, one of whom is the Colonel. And uh, they they jump around to different times, and one of the places they jump to is that state room, and that's the Shrike drawing blood from the Colonel, which is the blood in the state room. It's not the Templars. Hmm. It, 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 I don't remember the Colonel being very pale after uh, after you know we find him in that scene. I, I guess. Uh, well, it's far in the in his future at that. Point. Ah, I happened. see. Okay. All right. Um, well, uh, there's the final scene. We can talk about that. I thought that, I thought, you know, um, Mark was telling me, I guess, a week and a half ago, you were saying, I'm done. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm about a third of the way through. And, and then you said, so I'm working on book two. And I said, well, you don't have to do that. It's only about the first book. We're only going to talk about Hyperion. That's what you think. Well, yep. yeah, but I think I think it actually ends okay. I, I mean, it, yeah, there's tons left hanging, but I like the way it ended. I I love that they, you know, they're walking down into the valley there, and uh, they start singing uh, "Wizard of Oz." Yeah, and that I don't. I would have. I don't know what I would have done. I wouldn't have taken as many pages to write it, and I would have wrapped it up. Differently, I mean that them walking into the valley would have happened three quarters of the way through the book. <laughs> and so the last bit would be, I don't know, getting the, to Canterbury. No, the con- the confrontation with the Shrike. Yeah, and well, I, I just sort of assumed that you know, like I assumed that there was going to be another book after, especially after Mark was telling me it, it's only the first half of a story. But right. on the <laughs> other hand, I think. Um, not explaining a central important figure, uh, you know, a religious, a religious figure. Uh, it was supposed to be death incarnate or something. I don't, I, I, I have all sorts of ideas, but I haven't read the second book. So I, um, I can't remember whether they bring this up in the first book or not, but the Shrike was sent back in time from the future by the Alsters. Yeah. They mentioned, they mentioned that, that, that's what, that's what one person's theory is. No, well, that's that's. I think that's what it ends up being. Could be, yeah. Um, but I uh, yes, the, the, there are similarities to Canterbury, but I think this is more the Decameron. Um, if you remember the Decameron, they're trying to escape from the plague, uh, and they go to that house in the country and tell stories every night at dinner or whatever. And um, you know, I just thought that the state of the hegemony and the data plane or data sphere or whatever the hell it was called. Um, that's interweb that, or whatever. That's, yeah, that's far more Decameron than it is Canterbury. Well, yeah, um, I, I, I thought a lot of the references. I mean, it's sort of that might have also been the problem. Is it, it is like a grab bag of everything, right? Yeah. So um, I really I don't know that much about John Keats. I, I mean, I know he's a poet and all that, but I don't. You know, I've never seen a documentary about him. Never read a biography of him, but. Um, it it seems more inspired by the shape of Canterbury and I guess to Cameron uh, than than anything by Keats 
And it doesn't really have another precedence in science fiction, as far as I can tell, other than, say, something like uh, uh, the Philip Jose Farmer we were talking about earlier, Riverwald. Um, but those are the actual people. This guy's a simulacra. Well, and, and he plays a humongous role in the second book. Right. No, but I'm also saying, like, um, the, the actual novel's title is apparently a poem by... Uh, Correct. Correct. And, and the sequel is also, uh, uh, the fall of Hyperion, is, is uh, his reworking of the same story. Uh, Correct. So, Correct. Dan Simmons seems to, you know, he's inspired by this, and he's inspired by that, and then he throws in the Wizard of Oz, and, and he's got, you know, a story of Isaac and Abraham, and <laughs> all sorts of, you know, all sorts of stuff jammed in there. And it, all, it feels like a really near miss for me. He's like... He's aiming very high, and he's achieving a lot, but there's just... You know, a lot of people said they either love it, I've been told they either love this book or they hate this book. And I don't feel either, you know, either one. I feel like, yeah, it's it's very, very good, and it could have been... It could have been amazing. Yeah, that's that's similar to my impression of it i i don't have any problem with taking culture and throwing it in a food processor just don't <laughs> push the puree button <laughs> just, 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 just just chop it blend it's pretty yeah. smooth but there's chunky bits in there yeah, yeah. exactly don't turn it into a smoothie yeah. let's, let's keep going with this metaphor for about half an hour okay <laughs> <laughs> oh great well uh i think we nailed this book what do you think I uh, well, I I think we got pretty close. I'm um, uh, you know, it's it's. I'm upset that all three of us basically came to the same conclusion. Although I believe we all came to the same correct conclusion. <laughs> um, I, but I don't want to sell it down the river. There's probably a lot of people out there who would like it, and uh, you know, there were a tremendous number of elements that were very attractive to me, and I don't know if even I could have made them all jive. There were so many of them. So I, I, I'm not so sure the guy didn't set himself a task that was largely impossible by the scope Titanic. of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I wonder where some of these sci-fi writers, editors are. Um, you know, I think that's... Sleeping. Yeah, well, if, if his editor would have sat down with him and said, okay, this is really good, but, you know, it, it has these weakness could any you know can you take out some of this can you short it up uh clarify you know some of these relationships and and make it shorter and you you might have a really really good book here um so it's a matter of just allowing too much i think allowing too much to be in it now i wouldn't tell anybody don't read it you're you're going to be really disappointed i wouldn't say that at all um but you know is it the best book no it's it's not going to be super great don't expect it to be um, but it, it's a worthwhile read. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't think I wasted my time. Oh, you read it twice. I, I read it with quote. I did air quotes there. You didn't see them. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, the the uh, audio book was a multi-voice audio book. And I, I've actually never listened to one other than a full cast. Uh, because the structure of the book, and I, I wanted to listen to one of those because I hadn't really heard one other, other than full cast or a single narrator. And so this had, I think, five narrators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but what's odd about it is, since each individual tells their whole story, then you only had one narrator talking at a time, 
doing all the voices mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so, you know, you have the one female narrator, but then she's having to voice John Keats and you have the one narrator who's doing the Colonel who has to voice Moneta. Right. Um, so the purpose of the multi-voice, I think got lost. The second book is a single narrator and I don't think it lost anything by just having one voice do do it, do the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's nowhere near as experimental. The second book is a traditional novel with chapters that make sense and follow one after the other. True. Um, is it worth yeah. following up? Or should I power through and go? Or you could just ask me what the hell happened and I could <laughs> tell you. All right. All right. Uh, I might do that. Um, right. well, yeah, I, I, I also, I, I liked having a selection of good narrators and, I think there was some really terrific narrators in here. I, I, I don't like that I don't know who did what exactly. I guess I can figure out who did the, the female one. But Mark Viator and the bunch, I, I don't know their voices well enough to to say, oh, that's Greg Marguerite. Hey, that's Mark, Mark Nelson. You know, it's uh, – they are – I've seen their names around. So some of them are really good, but I can't say who is what. Um, I think Vitor was the primary narrator. Okay. Uh, but beyond that, I couldn't tell you. Okay. Yeah, me either. And I would, I mean, if we're doing our jobs right, we're transparent. So as much as I uh, enjoy the acclaim and all the audio book groupies, <laughs> uh, you shouldn't be able to recognize my, my, you know, me as a person. I should be a piece of plate glass. Well, I, yeah, but even so, you know, if it's like, oh, this guy's good and this guy's not good, right? You know, yeah. you see the name, you say, this guy can do his job and that guy can't do his job. And yes, yes, I agree. Especially on LibriVox where, you know, it's anybody can do <sighs> something, right? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's an open, it's an open system. They would let me read an audiobook. You know, there's something wrong with a website that would let me read an audiobook. <laughs> they, they would, they would. Um, what, what always surprises me is, and I feel sorry for these people. Um, I get, uh, lots of emails from, uh, English as a second language. Uh, you know, I'm somewhere in Asia and mm-hmm. I want to know how, I want to know how to say prestidigitation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, um, you know, some of the stuff they're listening to, to figure out how to speak English are English speakers with accents mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, well, everyone has, you do, you have an accent too. It's just. I go on. <laughs> no, it's true. It's no, I know. I know. Um, yeah. yeah. We, we think every, and that guy has a funny accent. Well, guess what? Everybody does. Yeah. Uh, there, there is a general, I mean, if you, you know, I think that television sort of boils everything down and you have a, a generic American accent that you can listen to, you know, that's used on pretty much every sitcom and drama yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But there are regional differences and I recognize that. I grew up in the northeast of the United States, and, you know, while I've gotten rid of some of those things, I, I don't, you know, put my keys in the door, and I, I don't Go up on the put, roof. My, put my coat on a hanker, <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. so, uh, but, but they're still in there. Uh, well, let me ask you, uh, the Yidris, Yidrisgal? Yes, yes. Idrisil. It's a it's Norse mythology. Yeah, it sounded familiar, and I'm thinking, what is it? What is it? Uh, is it the the tree that the crow that's on uh, Odin's 
shoulder hangs out in what, what's no it's it's called the world tree if i remember this correctly. all right yeah and, that sounds right and under its roots are the world serpent yags drill or something there's a there's a snake at the middle of the earth and and out of him grows this tree that all of the earth hangs off of basically and there's a, a spaceship in orbit or a space station in orbit around hyperion that gets blasted yeah, an enormous tree with a singularity trapped in the in the middle of it that they use for propulsion. Um, they they didn't quite fill me in on on how they managed to keep atmosphere and I mean I just assumed force fields, but um, <laughs> it was an interesting idea that you could lay in the boughs of a tree and travel between the stars. Yeah, but impractical. Well, uh, I thank you very much, guys. I think this is a. Uh... Uh, a wrap. Okay. Very short. We yeah, this was more, short. Um, short and to the point, unlike the book. <laughs> exactly. I, dude, this is not a long book compared to most out there now. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, I, I, I was telling uh, uh, Jesse last week, I, I, I've gone through uh, the Dark Tower series and the, um, uh, the Seven, Star, uh, Seven Suns. Right. So yeah. we're, you're talking. You're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of pages, and they still can't get to the point. You know. You know how? Uh, the, what's the guy? Uh, Kevin J. Anderson. You know how he writes audiobooks? Or, how mm-hmm. he writes books? Oh. This is a. This is really interesting, and it it probably says more about his lifestyle than it does about uh, anything else. But I I think that's the coolest part about him is. He goes on hikes and he takes a voice recorder with him and he just tells the story and then he goes gets home and he has his wife do the transcription and that's the book. Wow, I, I do outlines that way, but I would never actually. Yeah, he started off doing it that way, but he wants to do a lot of writing. He just goes out and starts talking to himself. It's it's it. There's just too much masturbation to delete. Well, but see, that's the thing, right? Yeah, if you've read a another... Kevin J. Anderson book, you know that's what he's good at, is basically not saying a lot, but putting a lot of stuff down. Because okay. it's really not... I mean, that's how he writes all those Dune books, right? And all, all the yeah, other I, stuff he writes. I mean, I didn't even get through all the Frank Herbert Dune books, so I don't, you know... No, I think I, stop after Dune Messiah and you're probably well off. Yeah, I I didn't think that much of Dune. It, it, despite oh, oh, terrible. Uh, love I'm it. sorry. I, I love what David Lynch did with it, but yeah. um, <laughs> other than that, the books themselves left me nonplussed. The first, but see, you were, you were probably old when the first one came out. I was I was like the right exact age. I when I got Dune, I was you know 13 years old. I, I was, hey, I'm I'm just like that kid, right? I wouldn't yeah. take my hand out of the box either. Yeah, that was me too. I read it in high school, and I thought it was great. Then I don't know what I would think of it now. It's still a wonderful book. Still- yeah, I remember loving the first one. I was probably around high school age too, and really, and then, you didn't love it. Uh, uh, it just no, I loved the first one, but then I thought they started going downhill. Oh, absolutely. The second one is a big letdown, but it has the the Gola, which is awesome. Right. I thought that that was just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful idea, and then. Everything else in the book was terrible. I want a copy of the Orange Catholic Bible. <laughs> uh, well, isn't that what it's I'm, called? Yeah, the Orange the, Catholic Bible. Sure, the Benny Gesserit or whatever they were. Benny Gesserit. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Right. Would you be a Bene Gesserit or a Mentat? I would be a Morlock. <laughs> Coming out to eat the Eloy? Yeah. Yeah, they look really tasty in that George Powell movie, especially that blonde girl. <laughs> Wait a second. That's not the podcast we're working on here. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Cannibal, Cannibal podcast is somewhere else. Next thing on the schedule is Oath of Fealty. Uh, Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell. It's uh, one I actually own a paperback of and never read. I was really into Larry Niven, uh, and I was buying everything with his name on it when I was, I don't know, 18 or something. And uh, that one had just come out, I guess. And I started reading it, and I thought, what the hell? This isn't good. And I'm willing to give it another shot. So that just came out as an audiobook. I should... Well, we'll we'll have to see what my schedule looks like. Mm -hmm. It's uh, scheduled for January 16th. That's maybe doable. I don't know. And uh, February 6th for Gulliver's Travels. Okay. I will definitely be ready for that. And I assume Julie's in on that one too, right? I should hope so, yeah. I think maybe I'm... Yeah, that's what. She wasn't available in January. Yeah. I definitely want to do Julie with with Gulliver because she's going to be able to take the other side of the, of the discussion. <laughs> yeah. It should so, be, yeah. It should be the, the Lilliputian point of view. <laughs> no, she's more, she's more like a Winnem. Uh, I, I, uh, wait, is that a horse? Yeah. A Huey Hugh? <laughs> yeah. But they're, 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 I'm be, I'm paying her a compliment. Julie, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm paying you a compliment. <laughs> you're really a horse, Julie. You're a horse. You're the you're the most refined creature ever to be produced, and we are mere yahoos. <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>